0: Reading from Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, Idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
1: Almighty Father, uh, we honor you and we thank you uh, for the work of your Holy Spirit. We wouldn't be all uh, dialed into this Zoom meeting if uh, you weren't working. Uh, We certainly wouldn't have been able to say the creed that we believe in God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit. So, uh, Father, recognizing your Holy Spirit is already at work, uh, we ask that you would deepen the work of the Holy Spirit. And now as we look at this Ephesians reading, which is difficult, um, bracing at times, uh, we ask that you will grant us to hear um, your own heart, your own truth, And that you will bring us more deeply to Jesus Christ, that we might be transformed to be like him forever. And do whatever is necessary to get that done in us. We look away from ourselves and to you. You must do the heavy lifting. And we thank you that you have promised to do it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, friends. um, Will you please turn back to page seven? Uh, We're continuing in our series in... Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. The Apostle Paul was writing uh, from house arrest in Rome, and he was writing to a group of churches around Ephesus, uh, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he's talking to them about uh, what it means to be a Christian, what it means uh, to follow the Lord. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've been talking a lot about comprehensive moral transformation, So one of the bedrock convictions of Christianity is this, Um, Jesus Christ is big with mercy and grace and compassion for people who are moral disasters. So Christianity is not about um, getting all our junk in order so that God will like us and accept us. Um, That Christianity is not a self-improvement plan, And that idea, if that's what comes to your mind when you think about Christianity, that idea will be a block to your spiritual progress time and again. Christianity is a story about Jesus reaching out to abject moral disasters. People like the Apostle Paul. Don't forget that the Apostle Paul, before Jesus got a hold of him, was a violent religious extremist. Christianity is about Jesus reaching out to abject moral disasters and doing everything necessary so those abject moral disasters can be reconciled and adopted as God's beloved children for forever. That is a bedrock conviction of Christianity. Here's another one. Jesus always transforms the people he rescues. See, what happens is Jesus meets us in our moral disaster. And then Jesus takes us from there to moral transformation. And that's what our reading is all about. And that's what this section of Ephesians is all about. So zero in on verse eight, page seven, verse eight says this, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now take a look at that verse and internalize how drastic and how radical that transformation is. Notice that Paul does not say you used to live in a kind of a dark place. No, he says you were darkness. Paul says the problem isn't just our environment. It, it, it's not just that that, that, that we kind of lived in a place in a in a darky kind of in a dark kind of soup, but rather the problem was right down in who we are, right down in the depths of us. And it was right there that Jesus intervened. And Paul says in verse eight, after Jesus intervened, you are, it's not just that you are in the light, but that you are light. Here's the point. Transformation for a Christian is as radical as the difference between darkness and light. Christian transformation is not just a, a mild course correction. It's not superficial. It's not just a super helpful upgrade. Christian transformation is when Jesus makes us into a different kind of people. First, we were darkness. And then we become light. Light. But look back at verse eight, because there's more. Do you see how we are light in the Lord? That phrase, in the Lord. What that means is that our transformation, it doesn't start with us. The origin is not in us. Um, We are light only because Jesus himself shines through us. Now, if you've been around Emmanuel for a little while, you know that we like to talk about um, reflecting the beauty of Jesus Christ. And when we say we want to reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ, we're trying to capture what verse eight means. Now, keep all that in your mind, and I want to ask two big questions. And we're kind of kind of go back and forth a little bit between these two questions. The first question is, what is the darkness and how does it work? And the second question is what is the light, and how does Jesus take us there? So first of all, what is the darkness, and how does it work? Look at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Okay. Paul's main example of darkness in this section of Ephesians is broken or toxic sexuality. Um, Now he's not saying that the darkness is always about sexuality. That's not the point, but rather that toxic sexuality is one example that can help us grasp how darkness works within our lives. And therefore we're gonna need to talk about this for a little bit. And, And that means, Emmanuel, I need everybody to breathe for a second. Okay, everybody go Okay, I am aware that whenever sexuality comes up as a topic within the church, it sparks a whole lot of feelings. For some of us, is this you? For some of us, it brings up a tidal wave of fear or grief or shame or guilt. And for a lot of us, it brings up those things for very good reasons. Um, speaking personally, some of my earliest childhood memories are full of uh, grief and fear and confusion and shame around these areas because of things that happened to me when I was very young that were bad. Now, I don't know your story, but I do know my story, and I know that it's hard, and there's very good reason for some of us to have those feelings that we do. Now, for others, it's not so much those feelings that come up, but for others, when we talk about sexuality inside the context of the church, it may bring up anger, maybe outrage. I can hear somebody say, the church is woefully hypocritical around sexuality, among many other things. How dare you bring it up? And if that's you, let me say this. I do not dispute it. Christians are often hypocritical around sexuality and even just this week there has been terrible terrible news of yet another prominent leader and yet the hypocrisy that's endemic within the church is one of the reasons we need to, we need to talk about it look at verse 11 it says take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them see hypocrisy um, thrives in the darkness, but it dies in the light. And here at Emmanuel, we want it to die among us. We want it to be extinct. And Jesus wants to kill it too. And that's why we need to talk about it and bring things out of the darkness and into the light. But for those of us who are frightened, let me say this. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ is never cruel. He is big with kindness. And Jesus never brings up a problem in us without delivering the solution. And the solution is always him. And so as we look at these issues, keep looking at Jesus. And I'll try to point you to Jesus always, because there in Jesus, you will find the one who will take away your shame and give you courage and hope and healing and restoration. Okay? So take a deep breath and come with me. Look at verse three. Do you notice the word in verse three that doesn't really belong in the list or doesn't seem like it does? Verse three, but sexual immorality and all impurity or wait for it, covetousness. Now, why does the apostle Paul mention covetousness or which is the same idea, greed? Why would that be in the list? Well, there's a very good reason for that. Greed or covetousness, greed can open up a window into broken sexuality, and also how all the darkness works within our lives. Think with me about greed for a moment. Um, Greed, most simply, greed is an insatiable desire for more of something, right? An insatiable desire for more power, or more money, or more pleasure, or more whatever the case may be. But greed is more than that. Because when I'm greedy, I'm always centering myself So what I mean is my focus is upon me and my desires. And when I'm in the middle of greediness, typically I believe in that moment, don't you? I believe in that moment that my happiness is somehow tied up with satisfying these desires that I have for more of something, whatever the case may be. And as my focus is on myself, as I center myself, then everything around me has a tendency to turn into resources that I might use or leverage or exploit in order to satisfy the desires at the center of my soul. The point is greed centers self. And can you see how the centering of self leads to all manner of problems? And it's certainly not just restricted, to broken sexuality. When centering self uh, becomes collective, like when a whole group of us are centering self together, it can lead to corporate sins like racism or tribalism or nationalism. Because what happens is my group centers my group's desires and my group's interests are at the center. And we end up, even when we don't know it or don't want to or try to avoid it, we very often end up exploiting others in order to satisfy my group's interests or desires. We center self and it leads to exploiting others. That can happen at a collective level, but it can also happen at a smaller scale. When centering myself touches things like money, I end up being a careerist or a hoarder of money, and it can lead me away from generosity, and it can lead to all kinds of economic injustice and abuse. Greed centers self, and it leads to exploitation. Even when we don't want to, even when we don't think we're doing it, And even when we try to avoid it. But now the same pattern repeats within the area of broken sexuality. And I'm not even sure I need to persuade you of that. Because if you could look into my heart, and if I could look into your heart, I think that we would both find pain. Pain where someone has exploited us. Am I wrong? We are many of us wounded by someone's sexual greed. But then again, are we all sure that we're completely innocent? Because the problem is that our sexual desires are nearly always asking us to center ourselves. Our sexual desires have a tendency to entice us toward sexual greed, And that can be true even within the context of consensual relationships. So even in consensual relationships, we can end up commodifying each other and we sort of agree to trade with each other, but still we're centering self. Now, what am I trying to do? One of the things I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you that biblical sexual ethics is not just about rule keeping. Now, there are rules, don't get me wrong, and we're gonna talk about them in a few minutes but it's deeper than rule-keeping. Because a biblical sexual ethic opens up the human heart and reveals something deep within us. Deep within the human heart, there is something that the apostle Paul calls darkness. And that darkness is when we all center self. And that centering self leads to many evils, things like racism and injustice and cruelty and toxic sex and lies and so many other things. And the Bible typically calls it sin. And that is the deep sin that Jesus came to address. You see, Jesus came to take that darkness within our hearts and replace it with light. And so that begs the question, what is that light that Paul talks about? We'll look back at the passage, because the best way to grasp what the apostle Paul means by light is by looking at Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source or the origin of the light. Take a look at verse two. Verse two says this. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, Paul is talking about how Jesus voluntarily died upon the cross. And keep that in your mind and think about how Jesus is the opposite of the darkness. Jesus does not center self. Jesus decenters self, and instead he centers God, his father. He offers himself up to God, his father. He offers himself entirely, gives himself over entirely to God, his father. Now, I can imagine somebody coming back and saying, wait, 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 wait. Is that a good thing? Like Jesus gave away himself? That doesn't sound like a good thing. Did Jesus lose himself? I don't want to lose myself. That does not sound healthy. Well, remember this. When I center myself, it feels like I'm finding myself. It feels right to me but despite the fact that it feels right very often in the moment, it very often ends up exploiting other people, even when I don't want to, even when I don't know it, and even when I try not to. But now contrast that with Jesus, because Jesus on the cross decenters himself, but he recenters God, his father. And the result is that instead of exploiting other people, he loves other people. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was loving other people. And not only does he love just People in general, he loves his enemies. The very people who put him up there on the cross, the very people who were centering themselves and because of that exploited Jesus because they were jealous of him, those were the people that as Jesus was dying, he was loving even them. And that is why Jesus is light. Jesus is light shining in the darkness. You see, darkness, sin, is when we center ourselves and other people get exploited, we reject God, and that happens even when we're trying to do better. But on the other hand, light, Jesus's transformation, is when self gets decentered and beca- and Christ gets recentered, and therefore we're free to love even people whom we have good reason to hate. Now... Let's turn this on ourselves for a second. Emmanuel, let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? What do I mean by that? Well, a Christian is someone whose life has been revolutionized by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when you see that Jesus died for you, when you see that Jesus died to ransom you from the darkness, When you see that Jesus knew that you and I could not free ourselves from the darkness, we couldn't free ourselves from our own greed or our own self-centeredness or our own sin. And Jesus knew that our sin made us guilty and that our sin exploits other people and that God is right to be angry about it. Jesus knew all of that and yet god is full of love and therefore when jesus died upon the cross he decentered himself he recentered his father and he poured out love towards those of us who still preferred the darkness now friends when you can see that and when you feel that Jesus Christ died for you. Not just that he died in general, not just that it's a nice story, but that he died for you. When you feel that, then something remarkable happens. Because you look at Jesus Christ and you see him forgiving all of your self-centered sin. You see him taking all of your shame away. You see him love you, not Uh, overlooking your guilt and your shame, but rather loving you right into the midst, into the epicenter of your guilt and your shame so that your shame melts away and all that is left in its place is a sense that you are loved and that you were loved before the foundation of the world and that that is a love that will never let you go. When that happens, that's when Christ's light shines through your life. But Christ is not yet done. Because when that light shines into your life, something yet again remarkable happens. Because in response to that, you find yourself wanting to decenter yourself you want to decenter yourself for the very first time. And you look at Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, I want to decenter myself and I want to recenter you, just like you recentered your father. And as Christ becomes your central desire, you find yourself free, free to love others, not exploit them, to love others with joy. Put differently, Christ's light becomes our light. Look at verse 8 again. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And when you hear all of that, let me ask you the question again. Are you a Christian? Now, let me take this and let's apply it, as Paul does, to the area of sexuality. Because when Jesus becomes the center of your life, um, you look at Jesus and you say, Jesus, you gave all that you are for me. And now I want to give all that I am for you, including my sexuality, however I experience it. Show me how, in my case, how to decenter self and recenter you so that I may be a great gift to give away. And this is where Jesus's commands come into play. Because looking at the broad sweep of the Bible, what happens is to some, Jesus says, to some of the some of us who follow him, Jesus says, I want you to follow me in the life of single celibacy. And he says that to all of us who are not married in Christian marriage. Jesus looks at some of us and says, I walked, Jesus says to us, I walked through my life single and celibate and I want you to follow me on that same path. Now pause there for a second. Because Emmanuel, I want to say something to, to those of us who are single and celibate for the glory of Jesus. It may be that later on in life, the Lord calls you to Christian marriage. But right now I'm talking to you to those who are walking with Jesus, single and celibate. I want to say this, you shine Jesus's light with a unique beauty. And it's a unique beauty that we need very badly. You have decentered yourself and you have centered Jesus Christ, and you do that every single day. And I want you to know that we all benefit from it. Because when we look at you, we get to see something of Christ's beauty that we wouldn't see without you. You are an icon of Christ to us, and we honor you for that. Your sacrifice shares in the dignity of the cross itself because you have taken up your cross, denied yourself, and followed your Lord. And I don't want you to ever let the devil or anyone else cheapen that glory. Jesus teaches us that in the new heavens and the new earth, all of Jesus's people will be single and celibate. There will be no marriage or giving in marriage. And one of the things that that means is that that means that right now you are showing us something of what Jesus will make us all to be in the new heavens and the new earth. And I want you, I want to thank you for that. Now to others, Jesus has said, I want you to serve me by entering into Christian marriage. And Christian marriage is a very unique thing. It's not the same thing as just what everybody else talks about when they talk about marriage. Christian marriage is also a decentering of self and a recentering of Jesus Christ in such a way that we're freed to love generously. So Christian marriage is when a Christian man and a Christian woman enter into a lifelong alliance to serve Christ through serving each other. And part of the mission of that alliance is that the Christian husband and the Christian wife will seek children from the Lord, and then they will seek to raise those children to know Jesus and follow him in their own day. In other words, a Christian family is to be an embassy of Christ's kingdom. A Christian family is to be a place where each day we seek to decenter self and recenter Christ so that we can give away our lives in love. So, Christian married people, uh, some of you are feeling the sting of decentering self and recentering Jesus Christ. And the reality is that Christian marriage is always costly, it's tough. It's also wonderful, but it's hard. And idealism is really helpful. But despite that, even the sacrifices are a gift to you. What do I mean? Here's what I mean when it gets hard in Christian marriage, that is Jesus Christ calling you back to his cross. The only place where self gets decentered is the cross of Christ. It doesn't happen anywhere else. So therefore, remember that your Lord is big with mercy and he is beckoning you back to his cross because there he will flood you with his light. And he will be enough for you. Now, let's keep all this in mind and come back to the reading because we need to deal with the warning verses. Verse 5 says this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God becomes up, comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, that's bracing, isn't it? However, I think by this point, we should be able to see why it's bracing. If someone identifies as a Christian, and yet still pursues sex outside of Jesus's consent, outside of his commands, the commands here and the commands elsewhere in the scriptures, um, it could be physical sex, it could be digital sex, it could be imaginary sex, any sex that's outside Jesus's commandments, that is a sign that that person is not decentering self and Christ is not the center. It may be that you've never decentered Christ and placed, or decentered self and placed Christ at the center. It may be that you're following, falling back into a place of centering self. But here's the problem. Remembering that centering self always creates greed, and greed always ends up exploiting, even when we try not to, even when we don't see it. And centering self means that I am my real God which is to say, I'm an idolater. And we need to feel the warning here because the Bible says that God's commitment to justice means that one day he will judge all of us. And if we will not have Christ as our savior, then we will face him as our judge. And there will be no escape on that day. So Emmanuel, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So don't make peace with the darkness. There's no like clever logic that makes it okay. Okay. There isn't that, that path just leads us back into hypocrisy, which is the plague within the church right now. Don't go there, but then be careful. And those of you who right now, your heart is beating a little faster because you're feeling some conviction or you're feeling a bit of guilt weighing you down or shame is beginning to ignite again, hear me now. Remember that none of us can decenter self on our own. We just can't do it. Darkness doesn't dispel darkness. Darkness can only be dispelled by light. Self-centered sin can only be dispelled at the cross of Christ. So run to the cross, all of us. If you have fallen, run to the cross. If you have not fallen, it's only because the cross of Christ and, and Jesus' grace poured out there is holding you. All of us run back to the cross of Christ because there Jesus will shine his light again. And there you will become light, decentered from self, recentered in Christ, freed to love with Jesus' own generosity. And as the Lord does that in you, and as the Lord does that in, in me, Emmanuel the Lord will grant us a new joy and a new pursuit and a new impact. What do I mean? He'll give you a new joy. In verse four, it says, don't, don't go in for coarse joking. Coarse joking is when we try to find joy in the darkness of this life. Don't do that. Instead, be filled with joy through thanksgiving Thanksgiving is when we are feeding our joy on the grace of Jesus. Our whole life is to become a long thanksgiving. And there is no joy more pure than the joy of giving thanks to God in Christ. And then Jesus will give us a new pursuit. Instead of pursuing self, in verse 10, we get to learn and investigate and, uh, and examine how we can please the Lord. And pleasing the Lord becomes the main goal in our life. A new joy, a new pursuit. And finally, a new impact. Verse 13, when we walk in the light, Jesus uses us to expose the darkness. Now, well, that's what happened in Jesus's life. Everywhere he went, his life of radical decentering of self and recentering of God exposed the darkness around him. And it threatened people sometimes, but don't forget that it also liberated people. And that's what Jesus wants to do through us. So walk in the light. He will use you to impact others and to free some. And that's why Paul ends with a call to awake. Verse 14, awake, O sleeper, and Christ and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Emmanuel, Jesus' transformation is radical. It's from darkness to light. It's from self-centered to Christ-centered. It's from bondage to freedom. Run to the light. Walk in the light. And Jesus will make us a gift to the world. Amen.